The scripture reading for this morning's message is in 1 Timothy. I do more than invite you. I encourage you to turn there. I'll be reading from the ESV. Um, If you do not have a Bible, you should be able to find one in a chair rack near you. You will find uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 on page, I can't read my own handwriting, 991. Uh, If not, you probably have a phone or a tablet that you can follow along as well. We'll just be reading the first uh, seven verses of St. Paul's letter, or his first letter to Timothy, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Here ends the reading of God's most holy word. May it accomplish all he desires. All right. It's a privilege to be able to be with you this morning, to open up God's word with you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 7 is our sermon text for today. In recent years, there have been uh, many high-profile pastors who have fallen, and churches um, have been severely hurt. Uh, Christianity Today's podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, Mars Hill is one, one of those places that has told uh, one such story of a high-profile pastor that has fallen, but it really addresses um, some of those issues that are throughout the evangelical church. Um, I've listened to that podcast. I've been sobered by that podcast. Hopefully I have also learned uh, from that podcast as well. Um, But let me just say this. As we think about the life of church and its leaders, doctrine matters and character matters. In this pastoral epistle, Paul is writing to Timothy, urging him to fight the good fight of the faith. Uh, Paul is a seasoned veteran and Timothy is a spiritual son to Paul, a disciple of Paul and has learned a great deal from Paul. But more than that, Timothy has also proven himself to be an invaluable help to Paul. 
Paul has even said that he has, he has no one else quite like Timothy because of how Timothy takes a genuine interest in the good of other people for the sake of Christ. So Tim, Timothy was such a great help to Paul that he would have loved to have Timothy with him all of the time. But Paul also loved the church there in Ephesus and he knew the needs that they had and so Paul gave Timothy the, these instructions to stay in Ephesus while he went on to Macedonia. Now, it's in these instructions that Paul gave Timothy that we learn how elders must guard the church against different doctrine. Verse 3 and 4 again says, As I urge you, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. So here in this letter, Paul is giving Timothy a reminder. Uh, he's already talked with Timothy about staying in Ephesus when he had made this decision himself to go on to Macedonia. But Tim, so Timothy was already instructed by Paul, but here he's being reminded and he's urged. That word for urged has the range of meaning that can be from encouraged to exhort. So here the translators have used the word urged. Paul urged Timothy to stay and to charge certain men not to teach a different doctrine. And so maybe, may, maybe Timothy needed this reminder and a little bit of prodding. Um, after all, he, he was a faithful servant, a proven faithful service, servant, but he, he would sometimes be a bit timid. So Paul urges him to stay and to charge certain men to not teach a different doctrine. But also the church in Ephesus needed to hear that Paul gave Timothy this instruction. And in fact, Paul had the authority, or excuse me, Timothy had the authority to stay and do this particular work of charging certain men not to teach a different doctrine. So in this pastoral letter, um, the letter as a whole, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Paul urges Timothy to do many different things in order to fight the good fight of faith. But from the outset of this letter, right at the beginning of this letter, Paul emphasizes the need to charge certain men to stop teaching a different doctrine. Now, don't, in other words, don't teach, a, don't teach contrary to sound doctrine. Don't teach a divergent doctrine. There's actually one Greek word here that is, requires two English words for translation. It literally means different teachings. So the, the context seems to suggest that these certain men were making peripheral matters the main issue. And as one lexicon argues, they were putting a Judaizer's emphasis on the law. And these certain men are not named here, specifically in verse 3, but if you look down at verse 20 of chapter 1, you learn that Paul called out Hymenaeus and Alexander by name. 
Um, and Paul says, I've already handed these men over to Satan to teach them not to blaspheme. So it seems like it's, Timothy's not called to address those men, but probably there were other men that were there in that church in Ephesus that needed to be confronted. So Paul urged Timothy to confront or to charge certain men not to teach a different doctrine. We don't know exactly what they were teaching. We do know it included myths and endless genealogies, but we don't know exactly the the content of all of that. Uh, Endless genealogies, though, Uh, probably included various rabbit trails through the Old Testament genealogies that, and they probably did that teaching things that scriptures really don't actually teach. Uh, A myth, on the other hand, by definition, is a widely held but false belief. So a, a myth is something that often gains a lot of traction with its hearers. Um, it, It sounds good, and it's believed by a lot of people, but it's false. That, that's the idea behind a, a myth. These certain men who were teaching myths, a widely held but false belief. Um, as an example, uh, today it's widely taught and believed that you must learn to love yourself before you can love other people. Uh, there are a lot of people that believe that. It sounds good. Um, but it's not true. When, when Jesus commanded us to love others as we love ourselves, he, he was actually identifying the fact that we naturally pay plenty of attention to self already. And what we really need to learn to do is to pay attention to others as much as we tend to do to our own selves. Um, Another example of a myth today might be this notion that God helps those that help themselves. So that little quote might do a lot to inspire certain people to take initiative to try harder, but it it really butchers the biblical teaching of grace. Uh, Romans 5.8 more accurately teaches that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. We're, we're saved by grace. It's, it's something that God gives. It's unmerited. It was unsought by us, but uh, it's what God chose to give. So again, we don't know with certainty the content of what these men were teaching in the church there in Ephesus other than they were just teaching myths and endless genealogies. But what we do know for certain is this, that what they were teaching caused people to get wild and fancy with their own speculations. Um, If you speculate, by definition, you're formulating a theory about something without evidence. If you speculate about something, you are inserting your own thoughts and your own ideas into your teaching. So the Bible becomes a springboard to say what you want to say. Uh, You read a verse and then you will talk for an hour about your own thoughts rather than actually teaching what the verse says. There, There are plenty of very gifted communicators today that teach a lot of things that really sound good 
But the question is, do they line up with the teaching of the Bible? That's the question that we have to wrestle with. Timothy was given this task of commanding these men, certain men, to stop teaching things that don't line up with what Jesus taught and what was then handed down by the apostles. Today, our task as preachers and teachers is to say what the Bible says. Um, That's the very reason why here at Grace Hill we're committed to expositional teaching. Our our goal, our desire is to place ourselves under the authority and the the very text of Scripture to study it, to exegete it, and then to say to the best of our ability what the text says. Um, I, I wrestle all the time with the telos of a text. What, what was the Holy Spirit's intent or purpose for giving this text? What, what does the Holy Spirit say in this context? Um, and I don't do that perfectly. Um, I work hard at it, but the other elders also work hard at handling scripture in right ways. And we depend upon each other Uh, to hold one another accountable, to be able to handle Scripture in right ways, to say what Scripture says. I I would say you too, every one of you, uh, young and old alike, must also study Scriptures, must be convinced by Scripture, to believe what Scripture teaches. That has to be what you're convinced by, Scripture. You, You too have the Spirit if you're born again. You have the Spirit And you can learn to read, you can learn to interpret, you can learn to apply scripture in right ways. Um, And if you hear me or one of the other elders um, or any of the other teachers uh, say something, teach something that doesn't line up with scripture, come and talk with us. Um, We're in the process of learning just as you are. So whatever these certain men in Ephesus were actually teaching. It, it caused a lot of speculations rather than, the text says, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So this word stewardship in this context means a program of instruction or training. So rather than our teaching being something that causes all sorts of speculations or man-made ideas that are not substantiated by scripture, our teaching should fit the program of instruction from God that is by faith. Now, if you drop down to verse eight through 11, Paul mentions a list of sins that the law exposes. And at the end of verse 10 and going into verse 11, Paul adds this, he says, And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. So this gospel tells the story of what God has done through Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection to redeem a people for his glory. And it is this gospel that reveals the glory of our blessed God and the work that he has done to save sinners. This gospel calls us to abandon any trust in ourselves and to trust solely in Jesus for our salvation. This this is the life of faith to which we have been called. And this is why the gospel humbles us 
and exalts uh, the God of glory. It, it, it crushes our pride um, and it causes us to lift high the name of Jesus. This, this is the life of faith. This is what we've been called to. This is what we fight for. Not speculations, not man-made ideas, but a life lived by faith in the gospel revealed through the person of Jesus. So Timothy was a faithful servant of the church for the sake of Christ. But he often seemed to struggle with being a bit timid. And this is why Paul reminded Timothy in his letter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. So confronting uh, teachers or leaders who were being influential took courage for Timothy, for anyone. And it's not surprising that Paul talked with Timothy about staying in Ephesus to charge these men to stop teaching different doctrine. And it's not surprising that Paul, Paul later writes this letter of 1 Timothy to urge, to exhort him to do this very work. Uh, Paul was patient. Paul was persistent, though, too. That, that's the process of progressive sanctification. Timothy was learning to be bold and courageous when he needed to be bold and courageous, um, and Paul was helping him in that process. Now, when we come to verse 5, Paul gives Timothy good reason to command these certain men to stop teaching a different doctrine. Um, basically, he teaches them that he teaches, Paul teaches Timothy, it's for their good, it's for the good of the church, and ultimately it's for the glory of God. That, that's why elders guarding the church against different doctrine must be motivated by a love for God and for people. Uh, verse 5 again says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Um, I, I think we find here in this little short verse some vital truth for the church today uh, paul was helping timothy paul was helping uh, timothy understand the proper way to go about confronting these certain teachers but it also reveals the kind of man an elder must be if he's going to lead the church in right ways paul is telling timothy confront these men who are in the wrong but here is what should actually fuel your courage to do the right thing. And the first is this, the aim of this charge is love. So the, the, the aim or the goal, the motive behind courageously confronting these teachers who were teaching a different doctrine is love. It's love for people that you are confronting. It's a love for the people who are being negatively influenced by these false teachers. And it's a love for God. Uh, you, you want to do what is very best for all involved. And when I say doing what's very best, I say what's very best from God's perspective. It, it's not good for anyone to continue being influenced by false doctrine. God's not glorified. People in the church are not built up uh, and edified in the faith. And teachers like this uh, continue to rack up guilt before God. And so the most loving thing to do 
is to confront them teaching, confront those teaching a doctrine that does not line up with Scripture. Um, It's not mean, it's not harsh for an elder to tell someone to no longer teach myths, uh, a widely held but false belief. It's not mean, it's not harsh to stop someone who's teaching Uh, whose teachings lead people down the path of just all kinds of speculations. Being being passionate about teaching the truth is a loving thing to do. And we're told here that it comes from a pure heart. A a pure heart speaks of a person's motive that is squarely fixed on doing all that you do for the good of the church and for the glory of God. There is... No room for a teacher to be building his own little kingdom. Uh, selfish ambition gets in gets people into all sort of all sorts of trouble. Um, being motivated by jealousy or uh, gaining your own recognition or your own reputation or pride will always taint and distort the character and ministry of a teacher. Doctrine matters. Uh, It matters a great deal, but so does character. Uh, The condition of a teacher's heart is so important. In a couple of weeks, we'll look at chapter 3 of this letter, and we'll we'll learn there about the qualifications of an elder. And if you look at that list, if you think about that list in chapter 3, that list consists of nearly all character traits. Um, Character is what most, it's mostly character is what qualifies an elder for ministry. Um, the only ability that's really mentioned there is this being apt to teach, ability to teach. But folks, again and again, churches are hurt and damaged by someone with stellar gifts but horrible character. Um, gifts are, are flashy. People get all excited when someone is a great orator or who is a mover and shaker, but character is what matters to God. And that is why Paul tells Timothy in chapter 4, verse 16, keep keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So what is good for an elder is, is actually good for all people. And so I would say to you this morning, as Paul says to Timothy, um, pay, pay attention to your own heart. Pay, pay attention to what motivates you. Why do you do the things that you do? What are your desires? I would also ask, are you in the habit of putting to death sinful desires in your life? Temptations will come. How do you respond? Are you in the habit of of putting to death sinful desires? Are you in the habit of repenting? That's not what you do just when you become a Christian. That's what you do as a Christian, as you live the Christian life. Are you in the habit of repenting? Are you in the habit of nurturing a love for God and for people? Um, Are you keeping in step with the Spirit? All all of those things are the kinds of things that should be happening in our lives. And 
that's one of the reasons why we need to be together and we encourage one another, we spur one another on in those ways. Character matters. In 3 John, verses 9 through 11, John says this, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, that's, that's, that, that's where he got into trouble. Diotrephes likes to put himself first. So here, John talks about Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Notice just that, that little thing of the heart he, he wants to be first. He wants to be first is considered evil. Also, Paul in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3 through 5 says this, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up and with conceit and understands nothing. There's, there's pride in his heart. Unchecked pride can cause a boatload of problems. The text goes on. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind, deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So a pure heart, a pure heart is not filled with pride. It's not filled with selfish ambition. It's not filled with jealousy. Those aren't the things that motivate you to do the things that you do. A pure heart cares deeply for the good of people for the building up of the church, for the glory of God. I, I want to see the name of God honored and glorified. So I ask you, do you do what you do? Do you serve the, in the church because you want to see the character of Christ molded more and more in the lives of people for the praise of God's name? That ought to be the kind of desire that comes from our heart. Love comes from a pure heart. But also love comes from a good conscience. A conscience is the inward faculty that helps us distinguish right from wrong. A, a conscience must be informed and trained by the Bible. And sometimes... We, we grow up thinking that something is good when it's actually bad. And when that happens, your conscience has to be retrained. Some, sometimes, in other words, you've got to be convinced by Scripture. So, sometimes a person grows up thinking something is bad when it's maybe not actually bad in and of itself. Uh, Shelly and I had some good friends. They were newly married. Uh, this was many years ago. And... 
they had this big snowstorm that made them homebound and um, they were kind of bored. And so the husband said, hey, why don't we play some cards? I mean, play some, a, a game of cards with a regular deck of playing cards. And the wife, when she heard the husband said, will you play cards with me? She grew up in a home where it was considered evil to play with cards. And so when she heard the husband say, hey, will you play cards with me? Uh, what she heard was, hey, will, will you join me in doing something sinful and evil? And she was horrified. And so they had to go through a whole process of, well, what does the scripture teach? What does the scripture say? Is playing cards in and of itself something that is, in fact, evil? And so it was a process of having her conscience retrained by scripture. But if she thought it if she thought it was wrong, if she thought, really thought playing cards was wrong, if she thought it was sinful and did it anyway, then it really was sinful for her. That's what Romans 14.23 teaches. We must keep a good or clear conscience before God. And we do that by being in the habit of doing only those things that we're convinced to be right and good. Um, if we are in the habit of doing things that we think are wrong, we violate our conscience. And if we keep doing that, we develop a callous conscience where we lose sensitivity. If we continue, we can even have a seared conscience where we lose the ability to discern right from wrong. And if that happens, uh, sometimes people tell lies so often they don't even know the truth if it's staring them in the face. So if you have a guilty conscience, don't ignore it. <laughs> Study the scriptures to find out if you are really guilty before God. If you are guilty before God as taught by scripture, repent of that sin. Uh, cry out to God for forgiveness and by faith, believe that it is the blood of Jesus that cleanses you from a guilty conscience. Um, and then put off what is sinful and put on the corresponding righteous living. And then as Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure, wa pure water. So a guilty conscience is our friend when it leads us to Christ. Because it's only in Christ that we will find what is needed to cleanse that guilty conscience. But part of following Christ is maintaining a good conscience. Uh, it's vital in the life of an elder, and in fact, all people. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 13, verse 18. Pray for us, that, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. But he says, pray for us, that we will continue to live out our faith with a clear conscience. To not be in the habit of doing those things that we're convinced are wrong. Uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But 
even if you even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil so are you maintaining a good conscience a clear conscience verse 5 also says love comes from a sincere faith um, if you have a sincere faith you have a genuine faith um, that means you're not a hypocrite uh, you're not in the habit of saying one thing and doing another um, the the gap between what you profess to be true and how you actually live is closing more and more as you are progressively sanctified um, and if you're growing, that means you are an individual that is quick to confess your own sin. You're, you're not too proud to say, I was wrong. I was wrong. Will, will you forgive me? Those are important words. Uh, you shouldn't be surprised if someone confronts you in your sin. You, you shouldn't be surprised if you discover sin in someone else. We are all in the process of putting off sin and putting on righteous patterns of living. Uh, more and more we find that our great hope is in the person and the work of Jesus. He is our life. Uh, a genuine and real faith is filled with a love for Christ, not a love for self. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is our hope and our life. So the, these things are so important. Um, we must be motivated by love in everything that we do. And genuine love for God, genuine love for others. And this love comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now, verse 6 says, Certain persons, by swerving from these things, have wandered away into vain discussion." Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either of what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. In other words, failure to guard the church against uh, teaching false doctrine and leaders with bad character leads to meaningless talk and worse. 1 Corinthians 4.26 says, Let all things be done for building up the body of Christ. So what was going on in the, in the church there in Ephesus was really the exact opposite of that. Here were teachers that claimed to be filled with knowledge, but in reality, they didn't have a clue. And the result was that the church was being filled with empty and meaningless talk. The body was being torn down. It wasn't being built up in the faith. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, Paul says, This charge... I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting these, 
Some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So there are serious consequences for the person who's not motivated by love, maybe doing lots of great things, but not motivated for the good of people and for the glory of God. And people who don't have a pure heart, who don't have a genuine, sincere faith, and who don't have a good conscience. Their conscience is not clear. Now, in light of all of this, in closing, let me say just a couple of things. First, um, I, I would say pray, please pray for your elders. Pray for Tony and Andrew and Tim and myself. We desperately need your prayers that we would be people who, first of all, would, would love the scriptures, study the scriptures, teach the scripture, teach sound doctrine, and that we would have character. Character would be growing in us that accords with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would be people who would in fact have a pure heart, a sincere faith, and a good conscience. So pray, pray for us. Um, there are plenty of horror stories of pastors who have fallen, elders who have fallen. We're not above that. Pray for us that we would do what Paul told Timothy, pay attention to your own heart, your own life. Pay attention to your teaching, for in doing this you will save not only yourselves, but your hearers. But, but secondly, let's also pray for one another, because what's good for the elders is, is actually good for every member of the body. Um, and so let's, let's pray for one another that we would love sound doctrine. Doctrine matters. Uh, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we need to be a people, every one of us, whether we're young or old, we need to be a people who are growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. We're hungry to learn. We're teachable. I, I, I want to listen. I want to hear. I want to read. I want to study the word. I, I want to understand truth as God reveals it through his word. But secondly, character matters for all of us. Doctrine matters for all of us. Character matters for all of us. Um, it's, not, it's not just what you do, but it's why you do it. Do you do what you do because of love, genuine love for people, for God? Does that genuine love come from a pure heart where you care more about seeing the name of Christ honored than anything else? Does it come from a genuine faith, a real faith, not not a hypocritical faith that claims one thing but lives something completely different? Is there a genuineness about your faith where it, it has to include being quick to confess sin and to repent and, and to, to cry out to God for mercy and forgiveness and for power to change? Does it include a, a good conscience where you're, you're not so busy that you don't even, you're not even paying attention to what's going on in your own heart? Do you know what's going on in your own heart? Are you listening and, and paying attention to the, de, the desires of your heart? And when your conscience says something is wrong, do you do it anyway? Even though you know it's wrong, or 
Do you listen to your conscience? And if you're convinced that something is wrong, you, you study the scriptures and you let scripture convince you that it's wrong and then you change, you repent so that you can practice, you can do the things that you do because you want to have a clear conscience before God. Um, that's what we need if we're going to if we're going to grow, if we're going to honor the Lord, if we're going to be faithful to, to live out the life that he has called us to. Um, so pray for us as elders, um, and let's pray for one another in that, in that way. Let's do that now. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. And I do pray that you would give us ears to hear Help us to be a people that places a great value on sound doctrine. Give us a hunger for the truth. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us the ability to be students of your word, to study it, to interpret it, to apply it in right, li right ways in our lives. Father, I, I also pray that we would be a people that understand the importance of character and that we would be a people who um, don't ignore your spirit's work in our life, that we would be responsive to you, and we would, in fact, be a people who keep in step with your spirit. Give us humility. Give us hope that comes from the gospel. Give us a love for you, a love for people above all else, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.